You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Thanks for coming this morning. It's good to see everybody, and thanks for those of you that are joining online. Uh, I know we've got a lot of families that are out and about and traveling or have a house full of people still and and, uh, just people in all different sorts of circumstances all over the place. So whether you're here with us in the room or watching online, thanks for coming. Uh, This is our last Sunday of 2020, which... um, It uh, is one of those things that I think probably there was some times where we wondered if we were going to make it to this Sunday, right, or how long it was going to take, and and we think a little bit about um, 2020, and usually when you start talking about 2020 and coming to the end of it, people get pretty excited. Seems to be the common theme of being grateful that the year is over. And so uh, I wanted to spend a little bit of time this morning kind of taking advantage of this Sunday and um, doing a little bit of reflecting and looking back on some things that God has done in my life. And I kind of want to challenge all of us to maybe do the same, because I think it is really easy this, uh, this year in particular to uh, think about the year in the past and quickly just sort of jump on the bandwagon of, the, of all the reasons 2020 was not great, which, let's be honest, there's a, f- there's a fairly long list right? Like there is a list. It's true. It, there were some parts that were not awesome. But I have this theory. I have this theory that God was not on pause for 2020, right? That God was not uh, just pausing in your life personally. He didn't just stop working in the world. He didn't just stop working in your lives uh, in and around you and your family. And so I have a feeling that if you stop and reflect, you will uh, recall ways where God uh, it was involved in your life, was involved in your year, was at work in you and growing you and leading you and directing you and doing things in your, in your world and in your life. And one of the risks that we run into with the, the normal 2020 is terrible bandwagon is it's easy to jump on that and sort of just lightheartedly joke about like how bad 2020 is and it was so awful and we can't wait for it to get over. And, and my favorite thing was the 2020 dumpster fire Christmas ornament. Probably everybody saw that, right? It was all through Facebook. I thought that was hilarious, right? It's a funny way of remembering 2020. It was a dumpster fire. Um, But one of the challenges is for us as Christians is we jump on that bandwagon and we sort of joke about how bad the year was and sort of unpurposely we are just dismissing what God did in our lives and just ignoring and driving over right by how God worked and what God did in our lives. And really what people hear from us is the same message they hear from everybody. Oh, 2020 this, 2020 that, blah, 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 blah. Everybody already hears that story. What if they heard the how God worked in your life story? What if they heard about how you took time to reflect and remember and recall what you thought might come in the year and then in, in hindsight what God brought and how God worked? And so I just want to share a little bit about um, my time doing that. It's kind of a casual Sunday. We're a little lighter than normal, and there's a lot of people traveling and all that stuff, and it's sort of one of those random in-between Sundays. In the new year, we're going to get into a new series talking about the purposes of our church, kind of what are we here for, what are we all about, and then how do we actually do what we're called to do. And so we're going to dive into that. But between then, I wanted to take some time to just reflect a little bit. And I think it's something that a lot of us do this time of year. For those of you that journal and write, it's good to go back and look at your journals from the year before this time and in November and December and January and see where you were at with the Lord and what was God saying to you and what were you studying, what were you learning, maybe where was God leading you, and then kind of spend some time reflecting, like, how did it pan out? Like, what did God actually do? How did it come together? And so I want to do that for you because um, as I reflect on 2020, it is for sure without a doubt, the most um, spiritual growth, um, personally me seeing God at work in my life and in the lives of people around me in this last year more than any time in my life as a Christian. 
I have watched God work and grown more personally in the last year than I ever have in any other time in my life as a Christian. And so for me, as I reflect on 2020, it's been amazing. I don't know if you all know, um, I met a girl. Um, and so there's that. And, uh, and it was uh, a huge curveball, very unexpected, um, and very much a God-ordained story. And so um, that is an amazing thing. And I just want you guys to know, just as friends and family, that we are excited to share that story here in the not-too-distant future. And so we're looking at some creative ways to help people um, who might not know how that all came to be and how we met and all of our story. We're looking at some fun, creative ways to share that story. And so that will come in the not-too-distant future. The other thing that happened for 2020 for us as a church is 2020 was big. 2020, uh, we launched off as our own independent church with our own local elders and became an independent uh, church here in Pullman. We launched a new location in Colfax, which is reaching a lot of people that we would have never reached otherwise. We've had a number of baptisms throughout the year. There's rarely been a month goes by that we don't have somebody being baptized. And God has just been super at work in amazing ways. Uh, On top of the fact that God has made a way, literally, quite miraculously, intervened for us to... Uh, find a future home in Pullman and uh, in the, again, not too distant future, we won't be here. We'll be in our own home. And all of that has been rolling out with God working in and around us in 2020. So there's been some pretty amazing things. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm super excited. It, 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 to be in our home someday, oh, it's going to be so great. Um, so, But I wanted to take a little bit of time and just kind of share with you um, some of what has become uh, kind of known for me as like the blessing bed story. I I know a lot of you are familiar with uh, the general idea and some of the stories and have heard some of the stories along the way. I wanted to kind of just share with you as I stopped and reflected this year where I was at last year, how did this even come to be and what has God done to um, bring this kind of mission alive um, has been pretty miraculous. Miraculous, and it is full of uh, amazing God intervention stories and God providing and God at work stories. And one of the things God uh, God always calls His people to do is to look back and remember and reflect. We learned on this series that we just went through the Journey to God series that God calls His people to remember. We look through those psalms, uh, the songs of ascent, where, where God's people sing these songs, and the songs remind them of who God is and how God works, how God shows up, what his character is like, what his nature is like, and they sing these psalms remembering and reflecting on the ways they learned those lessons so that when they arrive in Jerusalem, they're ready to worship. There's something about looking back and remembering how God has worked and who God is that prepares us to be present with God and worship God today. And I think that's a powerful thing. And so... um, one of the things that uh, happened uh, a year ago this time or ish uh, in December, uh, early December, I was away on sabbatical and took some time off. And a lot of that time I spent really digging in with the Lord and just personally asking God for um, kind of a renewed sense of purpose and direction and, uh, and vision. And in my time at, in sabbatical was spent largely asking God for direction personally like reconnecting and recon, um, just kind of uh, recalibrating my life with him. I've been through a really uh, challenging couple of years prior to that and was embarking on a new season as a Christian and really was seeking the Lord's counsel on what does my life look like as a Christian. And one of the things that kept coming up as I was wrestling with things on sabbatical is this this idea of, the difference between being a Christian because I'm a Christian and what does my faith in Christianity look like because it's what I do for a job. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. Probably all of us have heard the idea that there's sometimes you take something that's a hobby or something you really enjoy and love doing and then you make it your job and after a while you don't like it anymore. But you always loved it when it was a hobby, but when it became a job, it's not as fun. right? And there is a little bit of that that happens when you 
work as a job as a Christian. Like, like, I don't know how else to say it, but like those people that work in ministry full time, like there's part of it. It's like, you're a professional Christian, like, and it's different. And there's this aspect of what part of this is me being a faith, being a Christian, walking out my faith. And what part of this is just me doing it because I'm supposed to do it. And I was really wrestling with that tension because in my core, like I want to be real and authentic and I want to genuinely follow Christ no matter what, whether I get paid to or not, right? Whether it's my job or it's not my job. And it really was just seeking the Lord and asking for guidance on what does it look like, Lord, for me personally to follow the Lord. And through my time on sabbatical, I kept going back through notes and, th- and lessons that I'd learned, and several stories just kept coming back to mind. A couple summers before, I had the opportunity to go to Turkey with Aaron and some other people from our church and around the uh, area. And in Turkey, it's essentially biblical Asia Minor, so it's uh, all the New Testament. Like, like here a while back this year, we went through this, the book of Acts. Most of the book of Acts takes place in modern-day Turkey. And so we got to go to all the archaeological sites where uh, all of these places were that Paul and Silas and Timothy went and planted churches, like the birth of the New Testament Christian church. we got to go walk in the places that they were and learn and dig in. And everywhere we went, as we went there, Aaron would do this awesome job, this amazing teaching where he would unpack who these people were, what was this town all about, who were their gods, who did they worship, what were the politics like here, what was the economy like here, what was the the benefits of living here, what was the hardships of living here. And then he would look at us and say, okay, now that you know all this stuff about this place, okay, Christian, now put your God on display. And it was a resounding question that he kept um, posing to us everywhere we went. Here's everything about the place. Here's all the stuff. Now you're here. Put yourself in their shoes. As a Christian, how do you put your God on display? And we would wrestle with that and wrestle with it. And we would have like big discussions on the spot about what we might do. And he would push back and go, yeah, they tried that. And that didn't work. And here's why. And we're like, man, this is harder than we thought. And we would wrestle with, how do you actually put your God on display? And there were some stories that stuck out to me from there that kept coming back to me as I was spending time seeking the Lord on my break. There was a story about a place where there was a, a hospital called the Asclepion, and it was uh, aptly named because they worshipped the god Asclepius, which was the god of healing. And so in this area, the Asclepion, this particular one, was kind of renowned. It was like the Mayo Clinic of the day. And so for hundreds and hundreds of miles in every direction, if you were not well, the dream destination was to get to that particular Asclepion because it was famous and it was huge huge, and they had the best doctors, the best healers, the best resources, and the, they did a lot of propaganda to promote that everybody that went there got healed. It was like a, they kind of had sold themselves as like a 99% cure rate. And so it was pretty desirable to go to that hospital. And then we found out as we were there and studying and learning about it, that the people that would go there, so imagine you've got these people that are sick, they travel there, they're elderly, they're, um, they uh, are having a hard time because they're either physically or mentally ill. They arrive there to find out that it turns out the hospital's not free. There's a fee. And some could and some couldn't afford it. And even if they could afford it, there was a pretty exhaustive intake process where they read this huge evaluation uh, period to find out what exactly they were sick with. And it turns out the way you get a 99% cure rate as a hospital is you only admit people that you know you can help. It's great for marketing. And telling the story you want to tell. But the people that you can't help, the people that you know are too ill, that you've learned by experience, won't make it, get turned away. And so you have all these people from all over that come there who are out of money, physically or mentally ill, disabled, sick, not well, and away from family and don't have the resources oftentimes to return home. And all of a sudden the Christians start to put their God on display. And they start to pull these people in their homes and provide for them and care for them, oftentimes nursing them back to health, other times providing like hospice care so that people that were far from home and family could die amongst people that loved them. 
and be just well, uh, warm and welcomed and cared for on their last days. And, and we got to wrestle with the hard, messy work of loving difficult people in difficult circumstances with a lot of heartbreak. We, we learned about another place that's a really famous place. It's, it's um, some of the most famous archaeological ruins um, in all of the biblical story. Uh, apart from Jerusalem and Rome, there, there's no other city that is more well-preserved and is more uh, kind of highly renowned in archaeology as Ephesus. Ephesus is epic, it is amazing to this day, overwhelming, breathtaking to go there. The stadium, the streets, the uh, archaeology, the stuff that's still there intact is just overwhelming. We went and we saw all of these different buildings, and one of the buildings, the facade, the front of it has been kind of restored to some degree to its original uh, look, and it's called the Celsius Library. And, and in this library, there were more scrolls than anywhere else in the known world at the time. And so this was a place that held, really was kind of respected as a place that held all of the wisdom and knowledge of the world at the time. And, and so here's this place that's so advanced. And then just maybe 100 yards away, when you go 180 degrees and walk 100, and, you know, 100 yards the other direction are the ruins of all these what seemed like smaller kind of network of houses that all kind of blended together. And we're walking through them and we're trying to guess what they are. And then Aaron tells us, you know, after we've walked and explored and made all these assumptions about what they might be, he says, oh, by the way, we just spent uh, the last 15 minutes walking through what would have been some of the most famous uh, houses of ill repute, the brothels where sex slavery was huge, where young boys and girls were raised up purposely to live their lives out there. Birth control was non-existent. It wasn't a thing. And so there was a lot of babies born. And we learned how when these babies were born, the, the ones that were healthy and they had this strict criteria, they actually had a list of all these different things that how would qualify whether or not a baby was acceptable and healthy. And the ones that were healthy enough and made the cut would be taken by the brothel owners and either sold as a slave or raised up to work as a future occupant there. And then the ones that weren't good enough, that wouldn't make the, the cut, that had a birthmark or some deformity, or they cried too much, or they seemed colically, or the color wasn't right, they would take them out behind the brothel up on the hillside and just lay them in the grass to let them die of exposure. And what's really gross is then the, like the bottom of the rung slave traders they would come and walk the hillside and take babies that they thought maybe they could raise up to sell. And then there was still some left that even they wouldn't take. Enter the Christians. Here God's people put God on display. They come, they pick up these babies, they purposely seek out the ones that wouldn't make it the birth defects, the hard stuff, the ones that would cry too much, and they nurse them to health and love them and provide for them and care for them. And we start to see how God's reputation as a God who loves and cares for people in deed and in his word started to grow, right? We started to see these things. And so as I'm on sabbatical, these are the stories that are resonating in my mind of like, what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to personally kind of like renew my commitment and my resolve and my passion to follow Jesus? And how do I actually do that? And I got all these images rolling around in my mind. And I'm like, one story keeps coming back to my mind is when Jesus talked about the judgment in Matthew 25. And he talked about how in the end there would be a judgment and, and that the king would separate the people like sheep from goats, like a shepherd did. And he said that he would talk to the sheep and he would tell the sheep about how you saw me when I was naked and you gave me clothes. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me a drink when I was thirsty. And, and you did all these things for me. And then the righteous people would turn to the king and say, I mean, we're glad that we did that. But when? We don't remember seeing you. Like, and he says, he goes on to explain to him that whenever you did those things for the least of these, you did them for me. 
And so all throughout my journal back in December, I have all this stuff where I'm trying to like really dig in and go, all right, what is the least of these? Who are those people? Because those are the people like, how do I set my sights as a person who's devoted to personally finding and caring for the least of these? This is literally helping God. And I'm like, that, that's, that's it. And, and then I start to wrestle with, well, how do you do that? And who, how do you find them? And then I'm like, okay, God, but I'm in Pullman, Washington. And yes, there's some poverty. And yes, there's some people that you know, are struggling at times and stuff. But generally, I'm not in a community that is very hard-pressed. Generally, I'm not in a community where there's slavery, where uh, people are super oppressed or, or really downtrodden or put out. Like, like, where are the people where I live? What do I, what do, I do where I'm at? Because this is where I'm at, and I know this is where you have me. So how do I find the least of these here? Are there even least of these kind of things here? Like, is that even a thing here? And the whole time I'm there, I keep having this memory of this thing I watched on Facebook like a couple years before. And I have no idea why this keeps popping up. I don't know if you guys ever have that where something just pops in your head and you're like, that was weird. I wonder why I thought about that. And then you ignore it. And then like a day later, it comes up again. And then someone else mentions it. And it's like, I haven't thought of that for two years. And all of a sudden, four times it's come up, like those sort of... Coincidence things, right? And so this thing keeps popping up. I saw this story about some guys from a church that built bunk beds for kids. And I have no idea why that. I'm like, okay, cool story, right? But I keep thinking about it. Simultaneously, and so I'm like, I'm just committed to just listening to the Lord. And so I'm writing this stuff down in my journal. And I'm literally writing, God, why am I thinking about bunk beds? Or in my, like, seriously. And and it was like one of those light bulb moments where God's like, here you are going, going like asking me, who are the least of these? Who are the least of these? Where would you find them? How do you find them? Who are people that are oppressed? And he's like, I'm trying to kick your memory bank in here. I'm trying to help you understand like they're all around you. You actually live in a community full of people who actually are really the least of these, who are oppressed in a sense that they don't get to decide for themselves. They're not in control of their own destiny. They don't get to decide whether or not they eat this or eat that or if they have good clothes or bad clothes. They don't get to decide if they do this with their life or do that with their life. Like they're at the mercy of their parents. And for some, they're blessed and have good parents. And for others, they're in tough situations. And they really are suffering modern day oppression not not on purpose like not oftentimes because their parents are mean but they are absolutely in a situation where they don't get to control how the money is spent what the food is given what kind of clothes are given whether or not they get to sleep on the floor or sleep on a couch or sleep on a bed or whatever right and i'm like all right lord turns out i live in a community full of people that kind of fit in this least of these things and so I just wrestled with that and prayed about it and kept asking God for vision and direction. Like, again, like, this has been all about just me renewing my personal kind of calling and commitment to follow Christ as a Christian. Like, God, I need to have my feet as a person, as a man, firmly planted on the path of following you, not because it's my job, because it's who I am. And I need to be so grounded in that that I can do my job as a byproduct of who I am, not do my job, not do the behavior of a Christian as a job. I got to be it. And so I kept praying about that. And, and, and so I came home from sabbatical and I'm reading through my notes and, and I just keep Getting, I can't get away from this goofy bunk bed idea, and I have no idea why. And I'm like, all right, Lord, so here's the deal. Uh, I know how to build stuff. That's not a problem. I've built stuff all my life. And I'm like, I could probably build a bed for a kid. And so how do I even know if there is anybody that needs a bed? And so back in January, I threw a Facebook post on one of the WSU new and used Facebook groups. I threw a post up and just said, hey, and I just laid it out there like, 
just hung out the whole God card and everything in case anybody was weird about it. I don't know. I'm just like, this is just really what's going on with me. And I just said, uh, God's been putting this on my heart. I feel like he's calling me to build beds. If there's a kid that needs a bed, I think I'm supposed to build him a bed. And if you know of anybody that has a kid sleeping on the floor that could use a bed, message me. And I was sort of like, there you go, Lord. Did my part. <laughs> Um, so the messages start coming in the next morning I get up and there's dozens of messages people private messaging me the Facebook post it starts getting shared all over the place the next day more messages the more messages within a week I had 500 requests for beds off of one post local and I was like uh oh because I'm like, what am I supposed to do, right? Like, I sort of feel obligated. Like, I hung it out there. Like, God's calling me to build beds, except not for most of you. Just for the first guy that I, I forgot to qualify. I can only do one. Right? What am I going to say now? I'm like, yikes. And I literally remember having a conversation with the Lord at my kitchen table going, all right, God, you got me into this. What now? At this point, I have no idea how to build a bunk bed. I mean, I'll figure it out. I always figure it out. But I'm like, I've never built one. I don't have any plans. I don't know how much it's going to cost. Nothing. So at this point, I'm like, I probably should figure that out. So I sit down and I map out how to build a bunk bed and sketch out plans and all kinds of stuff. And, and I figure it all up. And it's like, yeah, about 475 bucks. it looks like, for everything. You know, the first round out, just buying retail for everything. And then Ron Little, a lot of you guys know Ron Little, one of our elders, He's amazing. And Ron came over, and he and I spent the day in the basement figuring out how to build a bunk bed. And we just mocked up the first bed. And a lot of you guys hear me use the term, uh, I like to be the kind of guy that launches the plane, and then I worry about building the wings later. Ron is a wing builder, and that's why we're friends. And so he's, he builds a lot of wings for me. Um, and he came over and helped build wings, and we figured out how to build a bunk bed, and we were pretty excited about it. It was like, yes, we built uh, one. And then God started doing something amazing. God started bailing me out and showing me that this was his deal all along. And all of a sudden, I start getting contacted, not from people that want to uh, a bed, but from people that are like, we're watching what's going on on social media. We're watching all of this stuff. And you don't know, uh, you don't know me, but I know you and I've watched all this stuff and I've read some of your things and I want to be a part of this. And I, and, and I get this people going, I want to be a part of the team. And I'm just laughing on the inside. Like if you only knew there ain't no team, <laughs> I want you to be a part of the team too, because then I'll have one. Well, that sounds amazing. We should do this. And so I just started making friends fast. And so Katie, the first person that got on board with me is a, a gal that's local and she has worked with nonprofits and she starts, she, she and I start going back and forth. Next thing you know, I've got a website up that she made and we've got an intake process and she's got folders and spreadsheets and she's like, the, she's super organized. Wing building machine right? Like it was exactly, I needed the other wing. So now we start getting organized and all of a sudden that starts coming along. And then uh, Zach and Daisy started, uh, that are uh, here, part of our church, they jumped in and they were like, hey, that bunk bed thing you're doing, what, like we could help. I, I could build some beds. Let's check it out. And so they came over and started figuring out how to help build bunk beds. And then more people started coming in and, and other people jumped in the mix. And before you know it, all of a sudden we started getting like this uh, what has become affectionately known as the the Blessing Beds Dream Team. And so like within two weeks, there's eight people around my kitchen table that none of us knew each other before. The only thing anybody has in common is that me. Sorry. Um, and... And we all meet each other and we all start sharing about our backgrounds and our, and our stories and why this meant something to us. And, and God just sort of assembled all of these different people with different backgrounds, different experiences and different skill sets. And that has now become the Blessing Beds Board of Directors as God has moved us towards becoming a nonprofit, which is insane to me that it's, it is what it is today. Um, and so we start building beds and we start figuring it out and wrestling with it and God just keeps doing amazing amazing things um and I got to kind of glance at my notes otherwise I'll tell you 58 stories and I only have time for like 22 so um 
So uh, early on, uh, friends got involved. We started building it. My house is, uh, it happens in my basement. Most of you know that. Um, uh, and it's no, just Noah and I that live at the house. And so we uh, are used to uh, a little bit of chaos and having a lot of people around. And it's not a big deal. Well, this upped the chaos to like level 10. And so we put an Amazon wish list together so people could donate mattresses and bedding and we could start getting supplies. That was some other smart person's idea. And, uh, and so they put my address on it. And so all these people from Tennessee, from Georgia, from California, from Texas, from all over Idaho, from all over Washington, uh, people that I'm connected with or friends of friends that are connected with that saw it on Facebook start going, oh, I'll help with that. And and what's awesome is it's not, at this point, it's not an organization. It's just people buying stuff and sending it to my house. Nobody knows if I'm really going to like give the stuff away. They just are on faith, trusting that it's real. And so checks start coming in the mail. Stuff starts coming. Uh, poor Noah, every day, all he did was pack mattresses in. And my entire living room, I'm not kidding you, was full from one end of the living room to the other to the ceiling full of mattresses and bedding and boxes. And the UPS guy was about to go on strike. It was rough, like, and I'm just like, okay, and luckily it was just Noah and I, and I had to laugh, because I'm like, I, I guess, who cares? I just, like, I got cardboard furniture now, we just sit on it. And so it was just, it just blew up, and all of this stuff starts coming in, and finally we get to go out on our first delivery, and, and Zach and Daisy and I took the first delivery out, and we were so excited to take the first delivery out. We jumped out there, we got it all set up, we went in the house, we went to put it together, we forgot half the tools, half the stuff. We're begging for screwdrivers from the lady that we were putting the bed together for. They probably thought we were like, have you ever done this before? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so three trips later, we got the first bed put together in the lady's house, and, and then things just started taking off, and story after story of how God provided and came through for us, and there's so many times when we're like, the, the weekend's coming up and we're going to do deliveries and we've got deliveries to go out, but we're out of mattresses. And all of a sudden I come home the next day and voila, there's a whole pile of mattresses on the front porch. I'm like, I have no idea where those came from, but we needed five for the weekend. And guess what? There's five on the porch. I mean, over and over and over again, God has just showed up and provided in these amazing ways. We decided that we needed to raise some money because um, uh, the blessing bed team is awesome, but we're all poor. And so, um, <laughs> I didn't say poor, but you know, like this is way out of our league. And, and so we go on Facebook and do a fundraiser. We've never done a fundraiser. We have no idea how to do it. I just sort of wing it. And we think, well, we could raise 5,000. At the time, we thought 5,000 was like a million. I mean, we're trying to like shoot for the moon and we raised 7,500 bucks. Just like, bam, overnight, like super quick. And I'm like, all right, that was cool. And so all this stuff comes in and we're able to start buying some lumber. And, and so we're buying stuff up front. And next thing you know, people start continuing to call and offer support. And, and we're doing these deliveries and I had a flatbed trailer. And Zach can testify to this. This is a true story, 100% true. We're doing deliveries on my flatbed trailer. No matter what the weather is, every time we went to go do a delivery, we'd load up all the stuff, all the supplies, everything on the trailer, and we'd go have like six, seven, eight stops to make. Every time without fail, it would pour down rain, blizzard, or have like, uh, I mean, like a tornado would come. And it was just like, seriously, we're tr- I mean, we've got this flatbed, and I'm going, Lord, we need a cargo trailer. And Zach's telling me like 500 times, like, you know what we really need? We need a cargo trailer. I'm like, yes, I know, right? Like, talk to the Lord about it. And so I, I'm messaging back and forth with Katie one night, and, uh, and I said, you know, I've been praying about it, and we just we need a cargo trailer so bad. Zach and I had talked about it. Katie and I messaged about it privately. That's the only people on earth that we talked about the cargo trailer with. This was a Friday night, February, I think it was 8th. Saturday morning, I get a message from Ian, a a guy that goes to our church in Colfax, who I have never talked to. And he goes, oh, hey, I've been watching all your stuff on Facebook, and you guys need a cargo trailer. I'll have mine there tomorrow. You can use it as long as you want, right? It's still at my house to this day. 
He goes, I hope you don't mind. I might borrow it once in a while, right? Like that's how this has gone. And so we have a cargo trailer. And so one thing goes to another. And, and then on and on we go. And we're running out of lumber. We're trying to figure out how to source the lumber and how to come up with supplies. And again, I'm just like, I don't, again, it, it has taught me a hundred times over. When God calls you to something, when God is for something, he will not come up short on making a way. He will not come up short on supplies. He will not come up short on, like I, I've been going through this uh, last several months and Jesus' time went through uh, Ezra and we're doing Esther and Nehemiah and, and just being reminded how God called his people to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall and how God came through with the resources, gave them protection by people that were actually their enemies. They were ordered to protect them. People that were their enemies and opposed to them, the king said, no, 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 you're not only going to not be their enemy, you're going to protect them, you're going to feed them, you're going to get lumber for them, you're going to cut fresh stones for them. You're going to finance them. Oh, and they're going to need some gold. And the stuff that the other guy stole from them, I want you guys to return it. Like God just provides. And I'm watching that play out in this Blessing Beds adventure that we've been on. One Sunday afternoon, I'm doing what I do best on a Sunday afternoon, sleeping in my chair. I'm really good at it on a Sunday afternoon. And I'm out cold. And my phone rings. And for some reason, I would normally, I'm like, oh, voicemail, right? Like, it's Sunday afternoon. I'm tired. I'm sleeping. I answer the phone. And this guy says, this is a resounding theme that happens over and over and over this year to me. You don't know me, but I know you. So he says, First thing out of his mouth. You don't know me, but I know you. We actually went to school together, but I was a freshman when you were a senior, and you wouldn't probably remember me, which I didn't. And he goes, and I've been watching all your stuff on Facebook, and you know how you were saying you were having a hard time getting those two-by-threes that we make the the beds out of? Um, He goes, I actually work at the sawmill that makes those. And there's only two sawmills that make them, and one's in Moye Springs up north where I grew up, and one is in Lewiston, Idaho. And we actually sell those to Home Depot where you're buying them, and I love what you're doing. Turns out he was a Christian. He used to pastor a church. We spent 45 minutes talking about our faith and his faith journey, and then it was like, oh, by the way, I called to tell you I'm going to make sure you have wood. And we ended up having this huge, awesome Jesus conversation. And he, and he filled out all the paperwork. And next thing you know, I got units of lumber. And I got people in Coeur d'Alene that are driving units of lumber and unloading them at my house. And, and friends that are bringing tools and supplies and resources. And, and all of a sudden, this huge army of people is assembling to like rally for this cause. And most of them, I don't know. In, in the last year, it, less than a year, since really about the middle of February including the weird closing for COVID time and all that stuff, there's been way over, we've lost track after 150. There's maybe 200 volunteers have come to the Blessing Beds World Headquarters, a.k.a. my basement. I don't know if you guys know how amazing that is. How many, like, where on earth... How on earth could a pastor get 200 people from town to come to his house? The vast majority of which didn't go to church anywhere. Ain't going to happen. And none of them know I'm a pastor until long after they're there. And then they're like, wait a minute, what? Right? And so there's been all kinds of relationships built and family built and community built and baptisms that have happened and and just this cool, amazing thing that's happened amongst the team and the people that have served and the money that's been raised and the people that we've helped. It's just phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Another guy comes from church one day and he says, hey, I'm listening to all this stuff and uh, hearing your story and that sounds neat. I really want to help. And... I'm like, okay. And he goes, take me to your house and show me where you build them. I want to see. Okay. So we show him. And he goes, you could tell he was trying to be polite. But in the inside, he was saying, this is an unorganized mess. (laughs) 
right? And so he's like, what do you need? And I'm like, I need a, I need a better jig table. We're doing it with this system and we need something better that's more efficient, that's more volunteer proof because it's hard to get people that have never used a screw gun and then tell them to build something. Like I need to come up with a system that's so easy anybody can be a part of any part of this process so that everybody can contribute even if they've never even put in a screw. And, and so he goes, well, do you know how, what you want? I'm like, I can dream it up. I just can't build it. And he goes, I got a guy that can build anything. Two weeks later, we got an amazing jig table that anybody can use to build a bed and put a bed together. And, and he goes, where do you put all your finished product when everything's done? And what about all the stuff that shows up? And I'm like, let me walk you upstairs. <laughs> Welcome to the warehouse, aka my living room. And he's like, oh man, we got to fix that. And I'm like, yes, we do, right? <laughs> okay. I'm like, who are you again? I like you, right? And so he says, uh, I happen to be in a business that rents and sells containers. You need a container. I'm like, yes, I do. And so I have a single lane, tiny little driveway that my boat's in, and I can't have a container and a boat because I don't have anywhere else to put my boat because it's Pullman and there's no parking, right? And my poor neighbors, we'll talk about that later. Um, And so he goes, I have a storage place. And so he picked up my boat, took it to the storage place, put it away for me, showed back up and put a container in my driveway. And he goes, there, now you have some place to put your stuff. I'm like, I could kiss you, right? And he goes, oh, by the way, you you guys know I bought a really old house and it needed a lot of help. And this was back when it needed a really lot of help. And uh, he goes, there's no way to get from your backyard down these things. We had like cinder blocks stepped up for like really redneck dangerous stairs that we had all these volunteers walking on. He goes, somebody's going to get hurt. Two days later, he came over and paid his guys to build me stairs, right? Like it's just been how God has just come out of the woodwork to go over and above beyond what we needed has come through over and over and over again. And I just, I, I know I got to wrap up because I got a million stories, but um, one of the things I just want to kind of share with you guys some of where it's come. Um, in the last, just since February till now, um, less than a year plus COVID crazy, we have. Um, been given, I'm not even going to say raised, other than the one Facebook fundraiser that we put an ask out, that's the only thing we ever asked. Every other penny and supply that's ever come in, we never asked. Somehow it found us. And so uh, $22,000 in cash has come in. It's crazy. Uh, $20,000, probably over $20,000 worth of uh, donated lumber and mattresses and bedding have come in. I mean, we're upwards of $50,000 of resources and supplies that have come in. Um, all of it has gone into making beds and buying supplies to make the beds and the mattresses and everything. Probably the coolest thing of all is this year we've been in over 100 houses. We've been in over 100 houses. There's over 125 kids right now to date, over 125 kids that are sleeping in a bed that weren't sleeping in one before this came about. It's pretty amazing. Um, We get donations, right? And we get, you guys know how when you do the Amazon thing, you can give a gift receipt, right? This is probably one of the coolest ones. There's so many cool ones. It's impossible to like say one's more favorite than another or something like that. But this one came in the day before Christmas. This showed up at my house get this huge box. Amazon always gives you a box that's 74 times bigger than the thing inside of it in case a body needed to be transported or something, right? Like, I don't know. I tell you what, if y'all need cardboard boxes, hit me up. I'm your guy. Um, So this is a cool bed set with trucks and tractors and stop signs and it's all this stuff. And the note inside is just like icing on the cake of all of the amazing ways God has worked in and around this ministry. It says, uh, uh, this is from a little boy. I know his parents, uh, they're part of the church over in Moscow and have served over here some over the years. This little guy, I don't know off the top of my head, he's five or six-ish, okay? Um, He says, hi, Thad, I saved up all my give money for the whole year to buy this bed set for a little boy in need. I picked this up all by myself and hope the little boy loves his new bed set from Abram. 
the day before Christmas, you got a six-year-old with a pocket full of more money than he's had all year, and he's thinking about that. That's just God at work in so many amazing ways, how God has worked through this thing. And it's just reminded me over and over and over, when God is for something, God's for something. You just can't get in the way. couple passages that have really stuck with me, and I just want to wrap up, is um, throughout this whole time, this passage from Second Chronicles 16.9 has been something that's been kind of, I don't know, just super uh, relevant to me. It was in my notes as I was praying and thinking this stuff all through and asking God for direction last year. Um, it's something that's just resonated all the way through. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And, and I've just watched that happen. I have lived out day by day watching God strengthen me and the people that are a part of this team and serving as a part of it. And other translations say in there that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro over the whole earth to give his full support to people who are fully committed to him. And I just love that imagery. Like if it's like, okay, God, I'll do my part. I'm all in. You know what God says he'll do? He'll give you his full support. I don't know if you understand what that looks like. Can you imagine a life that has God's full support. It's awesome. The other one that sticks out to me is uh, more recent. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Uh, I've been going through... Um, like I told you, uh, Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah and Jesus' time and, and looking at how um, Zechariah called God's people back to rebuild the temple after they were exiled in Babylon. And, and Zerubbabel is the guy that gets the call to make the start, to start rebuilding. And, and here, the, the line in here is talking about something really significant. For me, being a, a builder background guy and a guy that likes to build stuff, the image of a person holding a plumb bob, it's a string with a heavy weight that points to a thing, and it helps you mark a point, right? You only ever use a plumb bob at the very beginning of a job. It's where you start to lay out like the corners of the building or where the first posts go or where the foundation goes. And so here we've got this imagery that says that God's saying, don't despise these small beginnings. You know what the Lord rejoices in? He, he's excited to see the work begin, and he has the, adds this image to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. You know what God got excited about? What God celebrated was that Zerubbabel pulled out the plumb bob and said, let's start. He had no idea the opposition they were going to face. He had no idea where the supplies were going to come from. He had no idea if they were going to be able to pull it off or not. He didn't know any of that stuff. He just launched the plane and said, God, come help us build the wings. He was just faithful to start. So that's what I just kind of want to finish with is, is to just share with all of us, like this year has taught me over and over and over and over again about how faithful God is to provide. Like my part is to just start, take the next step, to just be obedient in what God's calling me to personally. And for us as a church, like what is God calling us to and how do we walk that out? And for you personally, to challenge you and encourage you to take time to reflect this year, to look back on where you've been and where you've come from and how God's worked in your life this year and what is God calling you to now personally. And then have the guts to get your plumb bob out and be like, okay, I'm ready to start. Whether you have any idea how it's going to go, where the resources are going to come from, where the supplies are going to come from, whether you're worried about opposition, whether you're worried about COVID, whether like any of that stuff, just have the guts to follow in the footsteps of Zerubbabel and just say, I know my part, my part is to start and let God worry about what's next. What could happen in your life to be all in and know that you've got God's full support? 
I just share that story because it's, it's just so encouraging me, to me to remember and look back on, and I think it's a pretty encouraging thing when other people hear how God has been at work. I, I, I'm going to be done, but um, it's a really hard story to tell in a half an hour because there's like a day's worth of stories. There's so many amazing ways where God has come through. Finances, people, resources, supplies, and the amount of stories that we could tell about the homes that we were in, the things that we saw, and the tears that were shed, and the hugs, and the fun. It's just such an overwhelming, awesome God story in every area. And I want that for you. I want us to be a place where we circle up this next year, and we're like, man, you want to know what happened? And we, we're like, we've got to, have to take a two-week retreat so we can hear everybody's story of how God worked. Like, let's do it. I've got the beds. <laughs> All right. Well, every week we take communion together as a church so that we uh, can remember what Christ did for us on the cross, to remember that we have forgiveness for our sins, to remember that we have a good God that involves himself in our story. And man, I've sure seen that come true this whole year long. So this morning, as we finish, we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents his body, which was broken for us. So as we eat the bread, let's remember the body of Christ. In the same way, we take the cup, And he said the cup represents a new covenant, which was sealed with the shedding of his blood. And so as we take the cup, let's remember the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Man, Lord, we we love you. You're awesome. And we just thank you so much for your provision, your protection, your guidance, how personally involved you are in our everyday lives, um, how deeply you care about the least of these. And um, just how much you supply and support. Lord, I pray for each and every person in here that they could experience um, life with your full support. Whatever it is that you're pointing them to, whatever you're calling them to, whatever mission, whatever adventure that you've got ahead of them, Lord, I pray that they could experience um, your full support. I think it would be a, a church full of irresistible people with irresistibly good stories, irresistibly good love for each other that uh, I, don't, I don't know if anybody could stay away. So Lord, help us to continue to grow our family reach people in our community, our friends and our family, and just serve and love others well. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.